Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 263 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I have been looking forward to this episode for a long, long time, and even more so after I was in Atlanta at Rethink Leadership. I know hundreds of you uh, were there. There are many, many more people listening to this episode than were there. But for those of you who are at Rethink Leadership, you will know what a treat this interview is going to be. Today, I sit down with the founder and former president of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel chain, and I just have grown to really love and appreciate Horst Schultze. So he was a keynote speaker at Rethink Leadership. We've done that event for four years. First keynote speaker to ever get a standing ovation. Yeah, it was crazy. He did a fantastic talk for 30 minutes. Then I interviewed him for about another 30 minutes. And when the interview was over, everybody just like rose to their feet to cheer. I think you're going to have, I don't want to oversell it, but I think you're going to absolutely love this interview. Uh, I am so thrilled. And maybe at some point in the future on this podcast, we'll bring you the talk and then the live interview I did with Horst Schultze. I mean, when you found something as, well, game-changing as the Ritz-Carlton, you've got something to say. And I've really enjoyed my time with him. So, so glad you're tuning in. So glad you uh, have a chance to hear this episode. And also to everybody I met on the road lately, man, thank you so much for your encouragement. I just got back in the last month. I've had two trips to England, one to Atlanta and a bunch of other places. And for all the podcast listeners who continue to share positive feedback, for those of you leaving ratings and reviews, for those of you sharing on social, thank you. It's a joy to be able to do this. Great to be able to serve you. And just a reminder, we have transcripts and show notes for every episode as well. So you can head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 263 and would love to uh, be able to serve you that way as well. So we'll get to the interview with Horst Schultze in just a few moments. But first, I've got something really exciting going on. Uh, We've got the Church Growth Masterclass opening tomorrow. Now, I'll be the first guy to tell you, I cannot make your church grow. You can't make your church grow, but you can position yourself for growth. So if you're praying, if you want to reach more people, but for some reason you're stuck, that's what tomorrow is going to help you with. So head on over to churchgrowthmasterclass.com. And as of tomorrow, uh, we've got some amazing stuff over there for you. And I would love to help you get your church unstuck. So it's going to serve in two different ways. One way is for those of you who would say, you know what, our church is just like living in another decade or yeah, we got a lot of changes to make. Uh, The Church Growth Masterclass includes a whole, well, really course on that. Plus, for those of you who are maybe reaching new people, but you're starting to, like, you're not really growing, you're like, well, how come we have new people, but we just seem to be stuck or plateaued? It's got all kinds of material in there for you. So more than I can explain in our short time together, but if you head on over to churchgrowthmasterclass.com, everything is there for you starting tomorrow. I'm super excited to be introducing and releasing that for the first time. Plus, I recorded a whole bunch of bonus material I really want to help you reach more people in your city. Speaking of reaching more people and serving the people you have, how are you helping out with your volunteers? Trained Up by Serve HQ equips your volunteers and leaders with simple online video courses and an ever-expanding library. They've got over 800 videos right now. So 
Maybe you're saying, because volunteer training is everything. Well, what about kids and youth? Covered. What about Sunday morning teams like worship, greeters, guest services, ushers, production, security? Covered. What about small group leaders? Covered. Even including like practices for healthy small groups and growing small groups. What about care ministry and counseling training? Covered. First aid. What about safety training like active shooter training? Hate that we live in a world where that is something that has to happen. Uh, Training courses for new believers, spiritual disciplines, yep. How about Bible study books? Yep. Plus, simple features to customize our training or to create your own training for your own ministry and you don't need extra cameras or video editing software. So it's probably something if you've never looked or you haven't checked them out for a long time you want to do. And get this, you can try it out for 14 days for free just for free, 14-day trial. So head on over to servehq.church and you'll find everything there. That's serve, letter H, letter Q, dot church and start your 14-day free trial for Trained Up right now. And without further ado, it's my privilege to introduce you to Horst Schultze. He is the former president and founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. He is also the founder, chairman, and CEO of the Capella Hotel Group. These days, he spends a lot of his time traveling around the country consulting with top leaders with Fortune 100 companies. He's a sought-after speaker and now an author. His book called Excellence Wins is honestly fantastic. One of my favorite customer service books ever. And in the meantime, here is my conversation with Horst Schultze. Well, it is an absolute thrill to have Horst Schultze with me today, uh, co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton. Welcome, Horst. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah. So um, not a lot of people can say that they co-founded a major hotel chain, let alone two of the most luxurious brands in the world. And I love how in your new book, and, and I've, I've listened to you speak in different contexts as well and watched interviews that you've done, sort of the heart of what you talk about is understanding what the customer wants. How did you figure out what the hotel customer wanted when you founded Ritz-Carlton? Because you'd almost think, well, cheap, you know, but you kind of did the opposite. You, you founded really the gold standard of luxury brands. Well, understand at that time, I had just worked for 10 years for Hyatt. And Hyatt, Hilton International, and Intercontinental were kind of the leaders at that time in the hotel business. So the decision was, do I want to go with that market segment and compete with them, well-established, or do I want to move just above in market segment? And the decision was we move above it and become and, and respond a little bit more carefully to the expectation of the market at the time. How did we know the market? Well, we bought affluent travel, travelers surveys and studies. And of course, there was a lot of feedback I knew from the existing companies. So, but we also worked with some behavioral analysts and asked, what do people really expect and how do you expect it? And uh, that was the beginning. And so, and once I knew that, I said, all we have to do be in relative to the expectation of the customer in my market segment, be more sufficient to the customer. Do what they expect a little better than the competition. Mm. And that's kind of what's the, the thinking, because we were driven, and that's the only reason I talked that shop, to create the finest hotel company in the world. That was the vision. 
That was the purpose. Once we established that purpose, I'm just talking about once we established that purpose, we, we, we agonized, honestly, very beginning, the yeah. people were there in the very beginning, before we opened the hotel, is our purpose good for all concerned? Is it good for the employees? Is it good for the investor, first of all? Because without them, we wouldn't be alive. Uh, is it good for the employee? Is it good for the customer? Is it good for society? And once we establish, yes, then we establish how we're going to accomplish it. So that was kind of the, the basic foundation of the organization. Hmm. Well, so, so you worked with Hyatt and Hilton in the decade prior. I suppose another option, although this isn't your wiring, was you could have gone lower. You could have moved into the lower market. Yeah. Well, yeah why did you not go there? That. Well, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, I'm just but, curious. You know, but Frank, well, frankly, my background kind of directed me there. I yeah. came, what I had worked for truly, and this is not just a statement, new statement, for the finest hotels in Europe. Yeah. In Germany, in France, in Switzerland, and the Holland America line, and in England. So I could see that we also... In America, our sophistication relative to hotels and restaurants was moving in that direction. Right. Uh, when I came first to the United States in 64, the, the better restaurants was a steakhouse or a rib house. Yeah. There were very few sophisticated type restaurants, but we were moving there very fast. In fact, today it's better than Europe. So, hmm. so I could clearly see that. So the so the decision was pretty simple one. Oh wow! So yeah, and and that's true because you were. I mean, just for people who didn't know your story or the background, you got into the hotel business very very young. You were in your early teens, were you not? I was fourteen. Yeah, yeah. I actually left home and lived a hundred kilometers away, and, and I always stressed at that time that was far. Yes, uh, in in a and lived in a dorm room in the hotel and worked as a as a bus boy, uh, which meant everything at the time. That was washing dishes and cleaning floors in the hotel, but I enjoyed every day of it. Yeah, now what, I mean, you, you write about that in your book. I've heard you talk about it. What makes a fourteen-year-old want to be in the hotel industry? It's <laughs> well, just—it's fascinating. Yeah, I like to find it myself. In fact. In fact, we marveled about it. I, I started to ask for that, my parents, when I was 11 years old. Huh. And we, we could, uh, and, and mind you, growing up in a village where there was no hotel, there was nothing, there was not, not even a great restaurant, any, any decent restaurant, there was a couple of beer houses. Yeah. I'd never been in them, and no, have I been in a hotel, but I must have read something. And that was very persistent. I, mean, I was crying about it. My parents didn't want me to do that. That was not honorable at the time. Being a, in, a, in Germany, going into a technical job, the greatest honor for the family would have been to become an engineer. Right. <laughs> so, but, and here I say, I want to work as a waiter and as a cook and so on. That's what I <laughs> asked for. You know, anyway, I, I got into it. I was very lucky. As I got to the hotel, there was a major d who... Is, was in charge of all the food and beverage operation of the hotel, who was an exceptional role model. And if, in fact, the first day at work, he sat us down, a few other kids that started, and said, now, don't come to work here. Come here to create excellence. 
well, obviously that went over my head at the time. Yeah. I mean, where yeah. is the excellence and washing dishes and cleaning floors? But slowly I got the point from him and he exuded excellence. He would have never entered the room unless he was perfectly looking and highly respected. He became my role model. Was the class system still, my, my parents in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, well, not so much 60s for my parents, but the 40s and 50s grew up in Holland and there was very much a, a class system at play. Was, was that still the case in Germany? Unequivocally. Just, yeah. just, and just think about my, my mother told me before we got there, my parents, my yeah. father too. My mother, my mother told me my father was thinking, she kept on admonishing me, I mean, not once, yeah. For weeks, this is a hotel. That's such a fine hotel. We could never go there. Wow. This is only for important people. This is only for ladies and gentlemen. Now behave yourself accordingly and so on. Truly the class system. That, yes. that was it. And that's, of course, in that in a way was the objection my parents felt because mm. that was not high class what I wanted to do. So the hotel was super high class, but the people who worked there were below your station in life. They were the servants. Ah. They were the servants taking care of ladies and gentlemen. But as, as I tell in my book, I've, uh, once a week I went to hotel school. That was mm -hmm. a typical European thing. And uh, after two years, the teacher asked us to write an essay what we now feel about hotel business. And I refer to that I, mm -hmm. I, because I sensed that evening when I came back to work more than ever that the maitre d' when he came went to a table the guests were proud that he came to them mm -hmm. and I contemplated well, this is a reversal we are the servants and they are but and I knew we the employee thought he's the most important person in the room so did the guest Right, and I, I contemplated as to why. Well, because of the excellence he 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 showed such excellence, such class that people admired him, and I saw what a reversal. And I realized, wow, I can be if I'm excellent in what I'm doing. I can be defining myself as a gentleman also, right. no matter what my position. So I wrote an essay at the time that kind of hung with me all my life. We are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. If we accent what we're doing, otherwise we sentence ourselves to be servants. Hmm. Servants. And and because I got an A, that's the only A I ever had. <laughs> you ever school. got, yeah. So because of that, it stuck with me and kind of a little bit defined who I was. It got I got lost in once in a while, but it was very clear. That's what I learned. He showed me that we all can define ourselves as excellence. So when I started Ritz-Carlton, I made that the motto of the organization. We are not servants. We are all ladies and gentlemen. But our profession, we do, what we do is serving people that whom we respect as ladies and gentlemen. But mm -hmm. we are not servants. Unless we sentence ourselves to be servants by, by not being excellent. That was a that was a totally countercultural move, I would assume, yeah. when you were sure. 16, 17 years old, however you were when you wrote that. And then even in the hotel industry in the early 1980s when you started Ritz-Carlton, 
I mean, America's never really had the caste system that Europe has had or India sure. has, exactly. but it's there. It's like, oh, this person isn't a professional, so therefore you ought not to get married. Or, um, yeah. yeah, well, we don't, <laughs> yeah, pe- sure. people from our family, <laughs> they don't do those kinds of jobs, right? There is that, there is that sense it carries Come on, with it. Come on, we all do it. I would ask, ask my daughters, what does it do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> So it's 100% there. But what you did in that moment was you gave yourself dignity and you gave every yeah. dishwasher dignity and you gave yeah. every housekeeper dignity, yeah. which, is, which is really, there's a story in the book. I mean, a couple of times I was moved to, to the verge of tears or to tears. But when you, you were opening a hotel in Jamaica, can you uh-huh. tell the story about what happened in Jamaica? And uh-huh. it's just, it's so powerful. But let me tell you, I was moved to tears at the time. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was warned by other hoteliers who do business on the island saying, those people are no good, they're lazy, they steal, et cetera, et cetera. And, which, and I was scared. I, 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 no, everywhere I opened the hotel, they said, it's different here. That's typical. Right. But it was not. And in and, and the case of Jamaica, I was warned so much so that I really was worried. First day orientation, a new hotel or a take hotel. I did the orientation anywhere around the world, the f- yeah. first 50 hotels. So I was in Jamaica giving the orientation. And the first day I told them, here's who we are. Join us. Don't work for us. We are ladies and gentlemen, servant ladies and gentlemen. That is, that is an expectation. That's an expectation of management that they treat you like it. And it's an expectation of you that you are like it. Etc. 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 I gave him this long orientation speech to join our vision of becoming the finest in the world. Well, next day in the morning, I went running. I generally did went by the by the golf course there, and I came back to the hotel, and there are walking some people that are very in fine suits and, and <laughs> very fine dresses and hats, and I thought. I wonder where they're going that early in the morning. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and I look and they're going to what the hotel. I said, is there, is there some, they, 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 we don't have anything yet. What, what is You're this? You're not open, yeah. We're not open. Then I see they're going to the employee entrance. And I go to them and I talk to them. I thought, wow, they dressed up because I said, let's be ladies and gentlemen. They tr- dressed in their very finest wow. and came in and, it, it was overwhelming, and, and it turned out the employees were wonderful on that island. They were absolutely exceptional. They were fine ladies and gentlemen. But you may have been the first person to ever help them see that in themselves, right? To give them dignity yeah, in yeah, their work yeah, and to call yeah, out the best and, and, in them. And, and I, I also, I believe, what played a great role, what we did always, we told them, don't work here. Join us in a, in a purpose. And the purpose is to create excellence for all concerned, for the people of the island, for you, for everybody. We show them purpose. We show them that they can belong and not just fulfill a function. And try to tell every leader that. Look, what do we do? We hire people to fulfill a function. Just like the chair on which we're sitting is fulfilling a function. <laughs> right. But we're dealing with human beings. Yeah. Hire them, bring them in to be part of you and give them purpose. Well, that's that's a fascinating philosophy. That's one of the most convicting things I saw is the way that you motivate and speak to people. 
Uh, let's go into, as you opened, you know, not only the first Ritz-Carlton, but you got into, I guess you said up to 50. You yeah. did all the orientations yourself. Now, a lot of CEOs- And a new and, one. And a new, and a new and one. And the new one. Yeah. 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 Yes. So every time when it was a new property, you did the orientation yourself. A lot of leaders would have delegated that a long time ago. Tell us why you did that. Well, first of all, I understand I have done the job all those employees are doing. <laughs> I know what they're doing. So, so I have feeling, compassion. I know the pain of that job. I know also the pleasure of that job. Mm. So being there and connecting with them and inviting them to be part, in that moment, it's real. It's not somebody saying it. And, that, and, and besides that, somebody saying it, it, there is them somewhere in an office. There is no more them after I was there. <laughs> right. I was there. I said, here I am. And in fact, I made it a point when I went into the orientation. Mind you, there, there sits 400 or 800 new employees, first day there, excited, nervous. And then they're being told this big guy is showing up. The big guy is coming from America. And when, as I walk in, I told them all this. I'm Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Horst Schulze. I'm very important. I'm the CEO and president. And they're shocked looking yeah. at me. And so the next thing I said, but so are you. You're important. No human being can claim importance or the next human being. So want to make clear, you are fine, important human beings. Hmm. And as far as your job is concerned, as far as your job is concerned, well, Let's see, if you don't come to work when we open this hotel in 10 days and if we don't make the beds, we have a problem. If we don't cook food, we have a problem. If we don't wash dishes, if we have a problem, serious problem. You would be terribly missed. Your job is very important. And what about my job? If I don't show up, nobody will even know. <laughs> so I made this very clear and then invited them to join our dream. Here's our dream. Here's my dream. Here's my, here, let me show, here's who we are. Yeah, so pitch now, me, I'm a, I'm a new employee. Tell me what your okay. dream is, yeah, I want to hear it. I'm, I'm dreaming that we have, a, we have a purpose here. We have a, a vision, a dream. We have to dream that in, in a few years, we will be known as the absolute finest hotel company in the world. And here's our motive for that. The motive is so we can grow, which gives you opportunity. The motive is so that we make more money. That means you will make more money. The motive, the motive is so that we will be respected. So you will be more respected. The motive is that we will be honored. So you will be honored. That's the motive. That's why I want to be the finest. So hmm. join me in being the finest. Join me so that people, when you tell somebody that you work for Ritz-Carlton, that everybody knows you're the finest. Join me for that reason. I mean, isn't that true? Oh, it's absolutely true. I mean, I'm I'm going to go join your staff. I'm going to go make beds. <laughs> yeah. you, you, I might not last very long. I don't think I'm very good at it, but that, so help me understand that. That was one of my questions for you. I mean, in the hotel industry, in the food industry, you're dealing with a lot of lower wage jobs, some of them sure. being minimum wage, some of them just above minimum wage. And I think there's a mistake in a lot of leaders' heads, Horst, where they say, you know what? I, I can expect what you just said of an $80,000 a year employee, but I can't do that with a $12 an hour employee. You, you built an entire chain of hotels uh, twice over in, in, in an industry. 
where that was the opposite. Talk about motivating lower paid employees. And that is such a misunderstanding. In fact, one of, the, one of my channel managers somewhat, sometimes says, what do you mean give purpose to a dishwasher? I, I nearly fired him right there. Wow. What, do you, what do you mean just make him wash dishes and not have a purpose as to why they fulfill that function to give them opportunities and so on? But, but let me explain it. And, and I, of course, I have put all the processes that behind everything is a process and yeah. explain that on the book, as you know. But something I did uh, the third day of orientation, I sat down department by department. So with the marketing department, with the dishwashing department, with, with the maid department, with the culinary department and so on, one by one. And I asked them all the same question and in and, and, and four continents. Same question in four continents. Every department gave me the same answer. And the question was, now see the dishwasher now, the, the lowest job, terribly difficult job. Mm -hmm. I said, the, the manager was sitting by and I told the manager, don't say a word, just sit by. I'm talking. And I said to them, so now that you're new here, think about it. What do you want your department to be six months from now? And they all answer the same question. In every country, every culture, we want to be the best. Hmm. So you want to be the best? Do you all agree? Because you're all doing it together. Yes, they scream yes. And so I wrote it on a flip chart, the best. And so now let's define that. What do you mean? What are you in six months if you're the best? They say, we are respected. We are efficient. We are successful. Everything you want them to be. With other words, they wrote their mission statement. Hmm. And after I was through with that, after an hour about, I said to the manager, stand up, and said, there is your manager. Now I will tell you what his role is. His role is to help you to be the best wow. without compromising. He cannot compromise this. He must insist because you all want it. He cannot compromise for one or two or for any situation. He will help you. He is responsible to help you so you're the best, so you're respected, so you have opportunity, etc. I can tell you one dishwasher, E.B., who works in the hotel right over here in Atlanta as a general manager, he was one of the dishwashers a few years ago. Hmm. And now he's a general manager. He's a general manager. Wow. You, you, um, you talk about this in the book, and I've, I've seen you talk about that in other places, but you really place a high value on employee feedback. Again, that threatens a lot of leaders, a lot of managers. They're like, <laughs> I don't want to know what my employees think. Tell us about that. Do you pull what your employees think out of them? Yeah, yes. Well, first of all, we have scientific surveys sure. once, a, once a year, and then we have come, everybody is... Everybody is to make is to make comments if they see a chance of improving the process where they're connected to. That means if a room service waiter sees a way to do it better, they are expected to make comments as to how to do it better. We then have a, a rule that we give an answer within 24 hours and if possible, implement it within 48 hours. But within 24 hours, we tell them, I got your comments. We got your comments. Here's, we appreciate, we thank you. Here's why we cannot do it, or here's why we do it. But an answer is given. In fact, mm. they, they are, and often we, 
we 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 uh, give give if this is a great idea, we give fifty bucks right there in what we call lightning strikes. Okay. Here, here here's a great idea, and we call everybody to, everybody together from the department. We applaud them. Everybody wants applause and says, "John came up with a great idea. Here's is fifty dollars." Uh, Susie also had a great idea. Man was not a great idea, but unfortunately we cannot do it because, and here is the reason why. Always why, always why, always give. When you make a decision, you have to tell people why. Adam Smith wrote a study besides Wealth of Nations mm-hmm. about the behavior of the human being, and he said people cannot relate to orders and direction. What do we do? We give orders and direction. Orders and direction. And, yeah. and he, he said people only can relate to objective, meaning and vision, and motive. So give, so give them the motive. Here's what we want to do, and here's the reason why. What's the big deal? Communicate. That's how you get buy-in. But one has to understand, we went in 50 locations, and every location was the leader in its market segment. We were the best hotel in Japan, voted hmm. China, Germany, and etc. By those philosophies, of course, when you have a philosophy, you have to have processes to implement them. And that's what I try to explain in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the ways you sometimes define your company, uh, and I'm not saying you, just generally speaking, most of us who lead things, it's like what we're not. So when you look out, even today, and you, you hinted this in the book and other places, what bothers you about customer service? today that you see in other organizations? What are the things that when you see it happen at a restaurant, at another hotel, you're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. What uh, what drives you crazy? Well, uh, this could be three books. My wife doesn't even like to go out with me because I'm constantly... And, and, and the, the worst thing is when I went to my own hotels, I'm so critical now. And, and I don't want to be that critical, but I'm, yeah. I'm critical how they take an order. I'm critical how they, how they touch a plate. I'm critical about everything. I can, and it turns well, tell me, me I, want, I want to hear about it. In, in, the, in, in that respect, I just touched on the waiter because I was thinking about yeah. being in a restaurant. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, go ahead. Because they, they, and, and it's, it's, whose fault is it? It's leadership. Because mm. we don't teach them the art anymore. As long as they bring the food over, mm. it's okay. Left, right, over, top, it all doesn't matter. How they take an order, they come to the table, I'm, I'm with, with three other business people talking a serious piece of business. I'm there in the middle of the conversation, there I come, excuse me, my name is John, I'm your waiter tonight. <laughs> I, I really didn't come there to meet John. Right. I came there to discuss business and have a decent evening. But and, and not be interfered with the interference. They don't know when to interfere. They don't know how to take. They don't know how to build a relationship with me. There are moments they can build a relationship. When when I when I take when I when they take the order, I now have no choice but pay attention to him or her. Hmm. And ha- handling handling that moment, the right moment. Don't come too close. Stay in the right distance. Look me in the eye and say, "That's a fine idea. Thank you very much." Uh, and and have communication with me. Tell me that I am with your eyes, that I'm important to you as a guest. I all don't get that. And then, and then they reach over the table they, and, and, and touch the glasses wrong, touch the plate wrong. It's amazing that an owner of resin doesn't teach the very simple basics of the art of serving. 
That's why there's no pride in those people. Hmm. Because we don't give them professionalism. If we yeah. would show them those things and give maybe them the background, and really all standards. I, I, I was recently for dinner, and for some reason, the host found it important to stand up and tell the waiters how to serve. There was a larger mm -hmm. group. Okay. In a private, in a private room. And what he told them was totally wrong. Was the total opposite what should be done. Really? I, 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 I want to stand up and scream. Uh, the, the, the standards of service came from the French courts. Hmm. That's a symbol. And you would know this as a European, right? Being trained by someone in the previous generation. Being trained by the finest, by yeah. the absolute finest. And, and, but if you learn that, it doesn't matter what if, if it is set in the table from the left and from the right. No. But we as professionals should know. Right. That's why we are professionals. But leadership doesn't teach it. It's just uh, okay if they carry the food from the kitchen table and plumb it down. Right. So when you were starting Ritz-Carlton, you had meticulous standards that you had to train yeah. an entire workforce yeah. in across multiple cities, eventually around the world, on things that nobody else was really teaching at the time. So what, tell me a little bit about what, um, like, what are some of the keys? Because you've talked about everything that's wrong. So like, well, there's, I used to wait on tables. I swear it was the hardest job I ever had. I was terrible. Yeah. I was the guy, you, you would fire me on day one. I'd come to the <laughs> table and say, so who had the chicken? You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 It was a disaster. So I'm, I'm, I'm staying in my lane. I know what I can do. I can talk to people. So, and, but, but it's only because nobody taught you. No, absolutely. And we that's were the point. like, but I that's the point. No, you're 100%. So tell us what are some of the bare minimums that you would look for in excellent service from your team in, in a restaurant setting? Well, if, if, it, if it was in a restaurant, again, I would, the bare minimum is cleanliness. It's the beginning. Mm. Cleanliness of uniform, cleanliness of all equipment, cleanliness of the menu. For example, the menu, I see a spot on the menu. Right. It, so it not only the words communicate, but the whole appearance communicates. Yes, it does. Is it communicating? Is this menu communicating that we respect the employees? Is it written too small? Is it written large enough? Does it explain without writing the recipe? What is annoying when they when they try to explain the special of the day, they nearly cook it at the table. I don't want, I don't <laughs> want you to cook it. Just tell me what it is. And all those annoying things, how they look at you. When you come to a restaurant, the hostess should look at you within nine feet and look in the eyes and say, welcome. That's very specific. Nine very specific. feet. Nine feet. Why nine feet? Uh-huh. Because the behavioral analysts tell you that's the moment when you make a decision about the other human being, if you like it or not. It's a subconscious decision, positive or wow. negative. And, it, and that's a huge thing. That is what I call the first step of service. Hmm. The first step of service has to be exceptional. Welcome. And I have to let you know, I'm truly glad you're here. I'm respect, not high. If I'm going to say hi, I'm saying I'm equal with you, by the way. Right. If I say welcome, sir, I'm saying I respect you and I'm a professional. Hmm. I'm giving two messages here. And you can trust me as a professional, but I'm respecting you. So, and, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm instilling the first step, a positive subconscious expectation of the rest. And if you have that positive, and so the second step of service is then to comply 
to the vision caringly to the wishes and need of the customer. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Comply. I'm complying. When if if you ask what is what is good, or I'm I'm recommending something that I know is good to, for you. Okay. That I know is a is a good food, and that I know I said here's what it is, and I know it is good. I know I have had compliments. Maybe I've tasted it. I know this is a fine dish that is worth the dollars that I'm that we mm. want for. So I'm complying caringly to your wishes until, or whatever it is that may maybe. You, you want to check into a hotel, I comply and I say, what would you like? You like a high floor, a low floor, and comply. I'm making sure that you have what you want. Right. And as an organization, I have made sure that it's immaculate, hmm. that we actually clean behind the toilet uh, with, with, with disinfectant, that, it, that the toilet seat is truly clean with the disinfectant. I'm complying to your need and wishes that you have without even expressing them. Right. So that's the next step in service. First is welcome, and then it's complying. And then finally, it's farewell. Thank you for mm -hmm. allowing us to serve you. Mm -hmm. And I was delighted to serve you. Thank you for coming by. Wow. So it, it, so service, it, there are three steps in it. Define, define with welcome. And how, how, how the welcome, we, we taught, no matter what you're doing, if somebody comes within nine feet, you look up and you welcome them and create them. Because that's a decision-making moment. When you think about, because um, Ritz-Carlton and your new group, the Capella Hotel Group, they those are high-end hotel chains. So there are certain expectations with linens and the room and service and the quality of food. Everything, everything is top-notch. But at the heart of that is service. Is that correct? Is that sure, accurate? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and the, the fascinating thing is we... we we studied that too. What is the expectation of the customer when the customer buys anything? It doesn't yeah. matter what it is. A house, a car, hotel stay, bottle of water. You see, if you go and you have a subconscious again expectation, that is not totally clear, but it's there, strongly there. You have, no matter what it be, they have three expectations. Yeah. Number one, that the, that the product that is perceived by you is defect-free. Right. If you buy a bottle of water, it's a bottle of water. That's your expectation. You're not, yes. You don't expect it to, to leak or have something swimming in it. Not, the next thing you expect is that you get it when you want it. Mm -hmm. Timeliness. And the third expectation is that the people who give it to you are nice to you. Yeah. No matter what you buy. Right. That's what you expect. And here's the fascinating thing. The being nice is the largest driver of customer satisfaction and eventually loyalty. The very thing that doesn't cost anything. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I mean, so, but the problem is we hope for it instead of creating processes to assure it will happen. Yeah. The being nice. Now, I have to create processes to make sure it's defect-free. I have to create processes to be sure it's timely. And I have to create processes to be sure that the, my employees around the world are friendly and caring. How do you do that? That's, how do you, how do you uh, help people be nice? Yeah, well, there are, we look at it as four processes. The number one process, and the, that's the system to assure us that every guest gets the same treatment, no matter where in the world, nicely. Number one, we have created a selection process. Mm. We defined 
each subcategory, what is the talent needed? What is the profile of this job? And then we hired rather than selected against that profile. profile. We didn't hire anymore. We selected. So I knew, frankly, if I can improve my selection of employees above the competition by a few percentage, I'm going to win. Hmm. Let's be honest. This competition I'm running against. So that was the number one process, selection. Number two process, orientation. In the orientation that started from selection, we made clear, don't come to work here. Join us for excellence. And Mm. then we taught, and then we taught who we are. We welcomed them. We showed them our vision. We showed them our purpose, as earlier discussed. We went through all that. We, We also taught them the 20 things that are non-negotiable, that they must do, that they have to accept from day one on, those 20 things, because if I knew if we do those 20 things better than the competition, superior to the competition, we'll be number one. So we had had determined those. Can you give us a handful of those 20 things? Well, including the right welcome, look them in the eye, including if you get a complaint, you own it. Hmm. So that means if uh, that mean no matter what the complaint, if you're the waiter and complain about a toilet, you own it, and you say, "Please forgive me, sir. In fact, I feel so bad. I will buy you breakfast." That that's where the empowerment comes in. So that empowerment goes right down. If I'm on a ladder changing a light bulb, I'm part of your maintenance crew, and I overhear a customer saying, "Yeah, the toilet's broken in room twelve twelve. That's my problem. That's your problem." In that wow. moment, you own you own you own that situation. You're supposed to go down, sir. I I I couldn't help but her. Please forgive me, forgive me, me, not me. Forgive me, not they do it all the time or all the things. So that why you why forgive me? That's fascinating. Ah, because we started again. It's a study. Everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is study. I love how tech. See, this is your German engineering background coming through, right? Germans are very technical. <laughs> I love it. I love it so, because because we know that ninety six percent of complaints given are only the the guest only or the customer or whatever it is any business they just want to get rid of their frustration. Right. If I don't if I don't don't accept it, the frustration is still there. In fact, it goes up. But if I accept it and say, please forgive me, the complainer is usually even embarrassed that they complained to me, knowing full well I had nothing to do with it. Really? So they're rid of their frustration. If I now take it to another level and say, in fact, I want to do something for you. Uh, and if that engineer now, you the maintenance person, you, you would say, now, what room are you in? And your room is so and so. And you come back to your room. A, it's fixed. B, the maintenance person sent you some a, a basket of fruit. You're blown away in plain English. And say, wow. You're, and, and you have now moved from being a satisfied customer, in fact, dissatisfied, to being a loyal customer. Wow. And that's the intent. Everybody, we should make everybody a loyal customer. Do you have a limit of what you will allow an employee to spend on yes. that? Okay. Yes. The limit for each employee was $2,000. Oh my goodness. So that's a pretty high limit. A bus, a bus boy. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it was a it, but it was an economic decision. All right. First of all, uh, I was absolutely committed. We will not lose customers. We once they walk in our hotel, we keep them even if they have an incident. Yeah. So we had to empower the the employees to make a decision, and so two thousand dollars was simply. I knew that our average age of our customer was forty three years old. Mm-hmm. That means thirty years more traveling. Based on what they were spending, there was a potential of two hundred thousand dollars. Wow! So I I would be willing to spend two thousand dollars to keep the two hundred thousand. So I said. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to be willing to give one percent for them to spend two hundred thousand hmm. dollars. That was the decision. But nobody ever spent two thousand dollars. Right. They bought a breakfast or a fruit basket or a glass of wine or or cookies or whatever it was they bought for the guests to say, "Please forgive me." Well, if you'll allow me to tease this out then, because I just want to make sure I understand it. So I'm the guy, I'm the maintenance worker on the ladder replacing light bulbs today. And theoretically, I have 10 customers. One had his car dented by the valet. Another one, this is a nightmare day, had the broken toilet. Another guest uh, was, was complaining about no reservations. I made a reservation. I hear all of these complaints. So if I get this right, potentially, if I hear 10 of those in a day... I'm empowered up to $2,000 per customer. So I potentially could have spent $20,000 of your money in a single day. Now, I know that wouldn't have happened, but theoretically it could. Did I get that right? Absolutely, yeah. Wow, wow. That's amazing. Most most bosses would be terrified of that. So potentially uh, I saved, uh, what, a few million dollars. Yes, that's the way you have to look at it, right? Yeah. Which is which is amazing. Okay, anything else in the empowerment or the core well, values that you we were going through? To go back for a moment, the the process was selection, orientation. Yes. Or, Correct. That was orientation. You're right. Training, and then comes the function training, and then came the sustaining. See the mm-hmm. twenty points. There were actually twenty four, but there are four extra points. The the twenty four points that we talked the first second day which made us superior to competition. If they were taught, they're now sustained. One of them is repeated every day. Yes. So today it may be point 11, which is repeated, which was taught the second day, which is repeated today, point 11. If you get a complaint, you own it. Mm. That point, that's point 11. In 24 days, you will hear it again. Right. And 24 days later, you will hear it again. We're going to make sure that you don't forget it. That was a, that was a major issue, by the way. Channel managers being embarrassed after a while to make to to repeat it because they felt like a broken record. Sure, they yeah. find it silly. So finally, in channel managers meeting, I said, "Okay, does anybody in the room not know what Coca-Cola is? Raise your hand." I said, "You all know it." Then I wonder why they still advertise. And spend billions. Obviously, they figured out if they don't repeat it, that somehow it will be will be forgotten. So repeat it, and then some still didn't do it. And finally, in this case, I'm the standard setter. I cannot compromise, right? Because I knew this will make us the best. So I finally had to say, okay, channel manager, if any, if I find the hotel who is not doing it, I will fire you. And then they did it. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, I, I, I understood. I understood why they didn't do it. I mean, they went, obviously, yeah. but 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 clearly, I had to come to a point where I said, "This doesn't go. We have to. We have to do because it will differentiate us. It will make us number one." And it turned out we were number one. I'd love to talk about how you handle customer complaints. Um, you've got a statistic. I've got it in my notes somewhere. That says 2% of all customers can't be pleased, which is fascinating. And I think every leader knows some of those customers. By, by the way, this this was wrong. There's one defect in the book. It is oh. actually less than 1%. Less than 1%. Yeah, 96% okay. have a annoyance. They complain about annoyance. Okay. The, 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 there was too much noise outside or something where you have to say, please forgive me and accept it immediately. There is about 3% that actually have a verifiable issue that should be corrected right away mm. and remedied. The, the, the TV should be fixed. Give, give, change the batteries right. and the TV changer. Less than 1% are what we called, forgive me, everybody, we called it the jerk factor. Yeah, sure. They're, they're just, Fair enough. They're, they're just jerks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, so they complain because they complain, yeah. and they like to complain, and they want something, even if there was nothing. So you have to deal with that. The, the day, and, and and I told everybody that's one thing I don't delegate the decision when it is a jerk. I'm the only hmm. one who can make that decision. So it goes because straight to the CEO. Yeah, other, yeah, otherwise everybody puts everything into the jerk factor, you know. Right, right. <laughs> everything is squeezed into that half percent. <laughs> but, and so I, I said, I make that decision. And and, and, and I, once in a while, I had to make a decision. It this guy's happened. a jerk. <laughs> yeah, the guy's a jerk. So, so we, we actually had a situation in one hotel where the guest was, where the channel manager called me and said, Horse, it's just impossible. He, the, I have to evict this guest, I know. But help me what I should do. He comes every morning into the office and complains for an hour about everything for, for a week already. Hmm. I, I said, there's nothing we can do. And be, But besides that, uh, he lives on, he's on the club level and he pinched three of the ladies up there. I oh, said, oh, 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 that's a different story. Now, he yeah. is going to be evicted. We double lock the door when he comes back. That's what I said. When he comes back, you said, Mr. Miller, we are here to make sure everybody's happy. So far, we tried everything with you. We're going to try one more thing. We have a limousine waiting for you to take you to the next hotel because <laughs> we have no more other answers. That's the only answer we have. But we want you to be happy. That's why we do this. And of course, I know he will find me. I <laughs> did find you. All right, right. And, and I get that call now. And I mean, I hear somebody swearing at me and, and telling me that it's going to sue me and going to owe me and own, own the company. I knew it was Mr. Miller. And he said, told me finally, Mr. Miller suing me. It's kind of an interesting thing because I will show up in the in the in the courtroom with the three ladies that you pinched. Good for so, you. And and he and he said, wow, and you moved out and nothing. Eight months later, about eight months later, I get a call from another hotel. And I said, Horst, I, I I know you can do, but you understand there is a guy here that complains every morning. Not only that, he pinched the ladies in the club level. I said, oh, Mr. Miller is your guest. He said, how do you know? I, said, I know. <laughs> they went to the same procedure with him. 
And when the when the general manager told him, well, we wanted to be happy, and so he said, oh, no, not again. And that was the last I heard of him, you know. Oh, my goodness. But those so are jerks. I, but those are, those are the half percent criminal jerks in that yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I want to go through a more routine scenario. So I was just uh, at South by Southwest. Uh, I wasn't at the Ritz-Carlton, but I did stay at a very nice higher-end hotel chain right downtown. And we had overall a good experience. I wouldn't say it was our best. But something happened on the last day, which was really interesting. We had ordered room service for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And so the meal came up. There were a couple of things that happened. One, the meal came up in three different phases. So, you know, the door rang and in came my wife's food. And I noticed that mine was missing. (laughs) And so I pointed it out and he came back with my food. And then we noticed that there was no soy milk. My wife doesn't drink dairy. So he had to come back with soy milk. And then, uh, yeah, this is going to, this will go in your next three books about things that are wrong. And then I went to drink my tea and I noticed it was in a ceramic cup, but there was lipstick on it from a previous person. So it had been through the dishwasher and there was still lipstick on it. So I had to throw that out. We had a paper cup in the room and I just made another cup in there. And then I had bought premium internet because I'm a blogger and a podcaster and I need that. So it was, I don't know, $15 sure. a day or something. And by Monday morning, it was worse than dial-up. Um, and so I ended up hotspotting my phone. So I, I know exactly what happened uh, with that hotel. How would you have handled it? I got a very mediocre response. They apologized. They, they uh, didn't charge me for the internet. And they took half off the breakfast bill. But only after investigating with the server. Now, the server was wonderful. He was nice. I gave him a tip. He was a super nice guy. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'd say it was a B or C level response rather than, and I'd love to know how you would handle that. If I was the chair manager? Yeah, yeah. The, the first thing I would have done, I would have sat down and cried. <sighs> I would have cried for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> It's like not, yeah. on my, not at my hotel, right? <laughs> yeah. so, and, and the next thing, I would have called you personally and really? said, please forgive me. And chair manager, please forgive me. I'm embarrassed. Obviously, you don't talk, pay for your breakfast. And, 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 and um, in fact, I tell you what, in order to show you that we're not that bad, next time you come here, compliment your media room. I wouldn't have given wow. you the money back for the room. Yeah, but yeah. I want to bring it back to show you that we're not that bad so you don't Smart. go around and talk negative. And next, next time come back, I want, I, I want you to be my guest next time you come back. So please, please forgive me. Here's my name. Call, call me personally for the reservation. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, my goodness. See, that's brilliant. But, but in that moment, I got you. I got you. You're yeah, you do. down. No, you do. And you know what I said? Because we've stayed at this chain. It's not a big chain. But we've stayed there in D.C. and Toronto and had good experiences. Um, but it was just the desk clerk who said, yeah, I'm sorry. We're going to do this and that. But I said to my wife on the way out, you know what? Next time we go to South by Southwest, we won't stay here. We'll look for another place. Sure. If you had done what you just said, I, well, first of all, I just told the founder of the Ritz, because this is what happens, right? I just told the founder yeah. of the Ritz Carlton what happened at this other nameless hotel chain, because that's what happens yeah. when you have a bad experience. Of course. But if you had done that, uh, I would be telling my friends, I can't believe it. The general manager called me. Uh, I got my breakfast back. I'm sure the internet back. And next time we're staying for free, which was huge. You, 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 you'd be nearly embarrassed that you even complained. Yeah. 
you and you would say, wow, wow, first class. By the way, there are three types of customers for any every any business. Everything yeah, yeah. we do here is every business. They're the ones, they're the ones that are dissatisfied. Hmm. They become terrorists against your organization. They will talk negative about you. And in fact, they will kind of enjoy talking negative about you. And then there are the satisfied guests. They will stay next door if they get a better deal there. And then they're the loyal guests. Why are they loyal? What did I would I have accomplished there? I would have accomplished to the point that you trusted me. Hmm. The loyal guest loyalty means nothing more than your customer trusts you. The hmm. moment when they trust you, they will buy more from you. They will be willing to buy other products from you. They will buy next time they need the same product, they will buy it from you because they trust you. In fact, I know many people will argue this, but we know and scientifically figured it out with, with, in studies. They're willing to pay more for the same product, the really? loyal customer, because they trust that product. Then why should they pay a little less, but they're not sure about it because they don't trust it? But you have developed trust. They, hmm. they, they trust you, in, in our case hotel, that we follow up, that we are, that we have the reservation, that it's immaculate, and that that you can that you can call us when there is an issue. We have developed trust in you. That's worth a little more, even though it's exactly the same. Mm, that's fascinating. And again, that goes back to the lifetime value of the customer yeah. as well, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, we've touched on this a little bit, but I just want to see if there's anything else there. How do you keep your employee turnover rate so low? You mentioned that it's a, as much as high as oh, 120% yeah. in the hotel industry. And hotel restaurant, yeah. Hotel yeah. restaurant industry, and you yeah. lowered it substantially. Do you want to just talk about yeah. that? We we have around twenty percent, sometimes 20, a little bit So under. you dropped it from yeah. one twenty to twenty. Yeah, which wow. which is which is remarkable because in that moment, the knowledge that you're teaching stays in the house and doesn't walk out of the door, etc. And the cost the cost of turnover is dramatic. It's dramatic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, the, the whole issue of the selection, the orientation to to align people and make people feel part of the organization. That, that's it. You know, think mm. about those. Think about those employees that all said we want to be the best, want to be part of something. Why do some of them, a few months later, are poor employees, poor producers? They enthusiastically said we want to be the best, yeah. and now after whose fault is that? It's leadership. <laughs> yeah. It's always it, a leader. We didn't keep it in them. We didn't keep that feeling in them and the feeling of belonging and all that. And that is really what, what, what we insisted on. That's why we had those lineups, we call them, the daily meeting where we took the, the, mm -hmm. the basic, the gold standard of the day. Not only did we do that, we at the same time told them what is new in the company. You're part of the company. We tell you what's going on. Mr. Schulz is in, it's now in, in Africa to open another hotel. Hmm. And, and and like you know, remember when he was here? On, listen, we we just signed a deal in in China. We we have a new channel manager just started in Bali. Here's where he came from. They know what's going on in the company. They're part of the company. Yeah. Yeah. But we also insisted on 
what we call a lateral service to respect each other. A work environment. I, I always explain, first day, I explain, I'm sure you all want a good work environment. Here is how you create it. Susie, when you come to work and you pass John and you say, good morning, John, how are you? And just and John says nothing. If you do it tomorrow again, Chan will say good morning. If you do it 10 times more, Chan will say, good morning, Susie, how are you? <laughs> and so you have created your own work environment. But we leadership are here to help you with that. <sighs> so, I mean, so everything is explained. Everything is talked about. And, so, and, if and we kept on reminding them if you see something, hey, would a lady or gentleman do that? Uh, will that will that make us? We kept this alive. It wasn't just a slogan. This was alive. If the if the manager didn't talk properly for to the employee, say wait a minute, manager, this is a gentleman. Do you talk like that to a gentleman? Does a gentleman talk like that to a gentleman? We kept those things alive. They weren't slogans. Wow. They were alive. We lived that way, and people felt part of it. Look. We had a situation, the, the question, we had a situation in, 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 uh, in uh, San Francisco where we opened a new hotel and the union wanted to unionize it. They picketed us for three years. <laughs> we never become union. We, did, we paid the same thing as everybody else. We never became union because they know they were respected. They were part of something. When you talk about selection rather than hiring, what were some yeah, of the yeah. criteria you would look for to say, hey, this is the right hire, this person not so much? Now, mind you, in, in, in everything I'm telling, I sometimes say I. There no, no, many, you have a team. Many yeah. of us did that and, and many people do that. I want nobody to think that I'm sitting here and I did everything. But I didn't. <laughs> In this particular case, in fact, we had an outside company help us. I, I, I tried a few self-developed some selection processes which I created, <laughs> which were disastrous. Okay. <laughs> and so, so we said, this process is not working. My, my whole philosophy is, if the employee turns out not to be right, is that the employee's fault? He may have been raised wrong by his parents. Or, or do I have a lousy proje- process to, in hiring? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's my fault. Of course. It's my fault. It's I, I my love process. your responsibility. Do you know some of the criteria that they would look for, that outside yeah, company? Yeah, so we hired an outside company. They, they, select, they looked at each job category, developed the, the talent that is needed and the profile that is there. And, and develop the person. Who's the person that is the... I give an example as a doorman, I think, in the book, because it was such a funny thing we found. We, we interviewed our five best, uh, best doorman since we were, we were already in that. And then we looked and said, where are we now? Let's, in, let's tweak. And we interviewed the five best doorman in the company and turned out they all liked gardening. They all liked gardening. That okay. Was, so, wait, wait a minute. And after we thought about this, of course, they like to be outside. That's why they're good dormant. They dormant. enjoy being outside. I would have, and, but in, in normal hiring, we would have probably put them into the computer room where they get absolutely crazy after four weeks and quit. 
Yeah. So er everybody was fitting into their talent and their beliefs in, into the job category. So after we do that, that's why, that's why all those reasons why the job turnover went down, down, down. Oh, that, that's really good. Okay, a couple more questions for you. Sure. You seem to be this really fascinating in, in both the book, the talks I've heard, and even in this interview, because uh, it's a very, very large organization over every continent in the world, um, you know, in both of your companies. But you seem to have this interesting toggle, if I can call it that, between, you know, every detail. This is the proper way to serve a plate. This is how you hold a glass. This is... This is how you resolve a complaint. <laughs> and yet you're running this massive organization with tens of thousands of employees. So there's got to be that line where, you know, between, hey, I'm getting involved. I'm calling the customer. And then, no, I'm sitting back and running a large multinational, you know, corporation. How did you learn to draw that line between where to get involved and where to lean back? Well, uh, clearly, if you spread out around the world, and you, you're running a, a brand. A brand means if somebody walks into a Ritz-Carlton hotel anywhere in the world, no matter the fact that it's physically totally different, they should know and feel they're in a Ritz-Carlton hotel. Right. So, so trans. So we had to transfer the processes and somewhat of the feeling through processes too. And the process in this case was that. At least for the opening, I'm there and express who we are. But at the same time, bring to that opening representatives, teachers from about 20 other hotels hmm. and learn again how and go back then and remind their hotel. This was going on like that constantly, constantly. So we have, we have and one year I opened 11 hotels, mind you. Oh, wow. And, and so, we taught hundreds of existing managers that had been taught. They were reminded. They were then commissioned to go back and teach again their people what we're doing. So it was a process to perpetuate the thinking of the organization and the, and the processes of the organization. Hmm. No, that's good to know. So it's other, in other words, it's strategic involvement yeah. that then scales. Yeah. But, but I was then the beginning for, for the opening. And, and of course, the employees are excited that you're there. I, I walked by the dishwasher and see them putting dish in the dishwasher. And I said, wait a minute, guys. May I show you? Look, here you could do it this way. And then the rumor was in the company, he washed dishes all day long. <laughs> and I was... <laughs> And I was there only for a few seconds, you know. <laughs> and I always had to get the feedback. I understand you were there washing dishes all day long. <laughs> so, so, so there was an excitement effect that the leader of the company is there, uh, the founder. Yeah, you know, that helped yeah. also, but only the openings. Yeah. Yeah. In a similar way, when you think about uh, one of the top luxury brands, I should say, on planet Earth. Obviously, you're not cutting corners left, right, and center. There are things you spend money on, but you also talk in the book and in your leadership about efficiency. And so part of it is reducing costs. And you criticize hotel brands. I've heard you say this where, let's say, oh, the bars of soap keep getting smaller. That's the wrong place to cut. How do you know or how did what filter do you use for decisions about here we should save money 
and here we should, this is worth yes. an investment. This well, is worth spending uh, on. It, that's a problem not only in hotel business. That's a problem overall. Yes. That we don't concentrate. We, and, and try to put the book together where you concentration on the customer, concentration on the employee, and concentration on leadership. And cost cutting is the same. It comes all out of the same thing. Uh, we have to understand what happens in, in our business and in, in, in all business today. The headquarters is somewhere and the, the operation is another place. Now, how does the head of that operation that is a thousand miles away from the headquarters, hmm. how does she get uploaded from the headquarters? Well, by the bottom line. Yeah. That's all. That's all. So if he gets, if he knows he gets recognized, promoted, applauded by the bottom line, annual bonus, all bottom line, but then, then it becomes very natural that he or she will start compromising in some areas of product. And that compromising takes place usually by taking something away from the customer. Right. Let's, in, in a hotel business, that's in any business, but in a hotel business, well, the, the guest really doesn't come here because we have flowers on the table. Right. Let's take the flowers off. And corporate analyst will send a memo, create cost control, bravo. <laughs> and then he said, why do we have a piano playing in the afternoon anyway? And then the analyst write, create cost control. And then what comes next? Well, maybe the soap can be made a little smaller. Yeah. Everything is taken away from the guest. Instead of saying, where can I say, where can I make sure the guest gets exactly what I want, but I have to look constantly how I can save cost and how I produce it. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, and that means defect elimination mostly. If I eliminate a defect, the defect that you experience in room service. Can you imagine what that cost them? The way they came up three times, everything. But often not only that, the, the guests are frosted. You don't get the food at all. They throw the food away. And the waiter, instead of having three other orders, right. had tip only from one guest. So he is frustrated now. He gives lousy service to the next guest because he's frustrated. It's, the cost of that is immense. Hmm. If I would eliminate this mistake, I would save money and the guest is happier. Ah, that's smart. So, so by eliminating defects, constantly work on elimination defects, we have constantly, we constantly search the defects that we have coming from, from, guest, from customer input and from employee input, which we solicit. Once, an, once a mistake happens more than once, we create a team of employees connected to that mistake, hmm. to the, no, connected to the process and say, create a team and find out the root cause. You find out the root cause, not me in the office, I won't find it. Yeah. You find out the root cause, why this mistake happens, eliminate this root cause, and the, and the mistake will never have happen again. In that moment, I have lowered my cost and improved my 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 product. Hmm. And so so I've done two things at the same time. That's called efficiency. So that's where you save money and become 
and eliminate one missing. Can you can you imagine what we saved by bringing? We our turnover at the time was was eighty percent, from eighty percent to twenty percent. It's <laughs> dramatic. The saving yeah. was dramatic. That's so interesting. Yeah, because I think you're right. People look at the bottom line and they think in terms of smaller soap and fire the piano player in the lounge rather than we're inefficient, we're ineffective with their defects to the customer. And I like the way I don't hear a whole lot of leaders use the word defect, but I think if you took that as a filter through which you look at your organization, it would be shocking to see how many defects are out there, whether that's just inefficiencies. It, it's it's huge, of course. Inefficiency yeah. is a defect, of course. Yeah. So, uh, so we 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 have to understand that 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 because of how we manage money, you see, all all leaders and, and even the CEO. What's what's the CEO doing? That's I I was hoping my book, by the way, I, I was hoping CEO would read it and be, have a bad conscience. Hmm. That hmm. was my intent. Have a bad conscience because. I know what happens to the, to the CEO. He's sitting in his office. He has lawsuit, uh, acquisition, uh, uh, owners, all kind of problems. He has no time anymore to think about what really makes the money. The product makes the money and not the money. So, oh, oh, and, and if he reads this book, oh, he will have a bad, he, she will have a bad time. said, yeah, I better look at my operations again. I, I bet you. That's what I want to, hmm. and, and in a positive way. And I wanted, and I wrote it in a way where young people would read it and say, this is a great story. Mm. And once they finish with the story, they know how to become a great leader. That's what I try to accomplish. E- exactly. But, the, but the, that CEO, he's, he's thinking about the next bottom line report. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's the only recognition he gets. That's, that's why he thinks he's there. But he has forgotten what creates that bottom line. And I'm saying to them in there, don't worry about the money. Worry about the stuff that makes the money. Hmm. I think, I think uh, you said that. I've got it written down in my notes. But worry about the things that, that produce that. And I want to end with that. Um, so there's so, a lot of startup leaders listening, a lot of people in new companies. There's church leaders listening. And some of them are having that moment of a bad conscience right now where they're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what happens at our campuses. I don't know what's happening down the hall. I don't know what's going on or it's whitewater. If you had to um, say one thing to those leaders, where could they start? Like what is one piece of low-hanging fruit that they could say, okay, tomorrow I will look at this. What would you tell them to do? I, I'm sorry, it's not it's nothing that simple. I, but in, in, on the other hand, it, it is very simple. Yeah. Ma- make the decision for excellence. Mm-hmm. Ma- make the decision that your organization, make the decision. It's not only more, anymore just doing the job and get it done, which happens to all of us. Mind you, it's very easy to say. Yeah, yeah. But, Make the decision and then enforce your decision every day. I, I always give a, give a silly example, but it's so simple. And it hit me a couple of years ago when, when a, couple, a couple that we love, good friends, came to me and came to us and said, we're getting divorced. Hmm. And I'm sitting down, I'm sitting down with the with, with 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 husband and said, why? And they said, well, we don't feel like it anymore. Wait a minute. It's a decision. I'm married now for 40 years. I'm still in love with my wife. Yeah. That was my decision. 
I believe in God. I didn't wait for the feeling. I made that decision to follow right. Jesus. Now, we all made the decisions, for instance, to believe or not. Right. I, I know we are not in church, but at the same time, either it evolved in us or we made it all of a sudden. But it's a decision. In this case, I made the decision for excellence hmm. and hope. You, my friend, uh, idiots, you made a decision against hope. But you made a decision. Hmm. And the same thing, it's, and the same thing is with your business. I make a decision for excellence of product, excellence, and now I figure out the processes, how to accomplish it. But it has to start with a strong decision, not a pipe dream, a strong decision, hmm. and then a focus on that decision. And so th that is the only one thing. That's the one thing. Make Oh, I have made that before. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I don't mean for a fleeting little decision. I mean a strong carefully thought out decision for excellence. Hmm. And that, that, that in my mind works as a filter as well for everything that you, you channel through one of, one of the values of my company and also at our church is simply battle mediocrity. Am I allowing yeah. what is good to stand in the way sure. of what could be great? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's fascinating. Oh, that's compromising. But, but, mm -hmm. but wait a minute, we as leaders, when we decide, once we decided what we're doing is good for all concerned, we have no more rights to compromise it. Yeah. We have forfeited that right. <laughs> the excuses, we have no right to make excuses. I love it. I love it. Man, Horst, this has been so, so helpful. Uh, tell us about the book, uh, where people can buy it, and maybe where people can learn more about you online. Well, well uh, in, in the book, you can easily see, uh, the, the, if you got an Amazon, but it tells much more. And then there is a link. If you want to do more, there is a link also to learn more about uh, the Amazon websites. Yeah. Amazon explains, will, will get yeah. you there and we'll link to everything in the show link notes. To, yeah, yeah. The book is called Excellence Wins, uh, No Nonsense Guide to Becoming the Best in, the, in a World of Compromise. And I don't know whether I said this at the beginning of the interview or whether I said it before we started recording. I think it's the best customer service book I've ever read and one of the most challenging to me as a leader. So I, my, my copy's all marked up. So thank you thank so, you. so much for thank you. uh, your time. You've been very, very generous. And I look forward to having you join us at Rethink Leadership in May as well in Atlanta. I'm excited it. for that. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks. Well, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> some conversations are just plain fun. And that was one of them. I love it when I said, okay, so, you know, when you're out there, does anything ever bother you? Oh, man, that was that was a great moment. Hey, if you want to drill down a little bit deeper, uh, we have transcripts for you. So head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 263, or you can just Google my name and Horst Schultze, or if you want, head on over to leadlikeneverbefore.com, type in Horst Schultze. And you'll find the show notes for that. Also, his book, Excellence Wins, is a fantastic customer service book. And it's short. I mean, it's not super long. So it's not like, oh, man, I got to get through this encyclopedia. I would highly recommend it. I think it is. And, you know, we, we have authors on here all the time. I don't always say you should get this book, but it is a fantastic book. Uh, it really is. So it's called Excellence Wins. It's out now. And if you ever get a chance to hear Horse speak, it is both entertaining and absolutely worth it. So I hope you enjoyed this, man. We got some great shows coming up, and this is what I love doing with you. Sean Cannell, the YouTuber, is coming up soon. 
Actually, he is going to be our next episode. Les McEwen is back, and we're going to talk about scaling. And he's got a brand new thing, his scale conference, his growth conference, which is going to be great. Uh, I am going to give you next week a free version of the Masterclass on Church Growth. By the way, if you haven't headed over yet to churchgrowthmasterclass.com, you may want to do that. Also coming up, Luis Palau. I don't cry at the end of every podcast interview, but I did after that one. It was just powerful. Margaret Feinberg, Sam Collier, Kevin Jennings, Dave and Ann Wilson with an incredibly candid talk about a long-term relationship. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you haven't yet checked out what is brand new at Trained Up of ServeHQ, head on over to servehq.church and try their 14-day free trial. You got absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain, 14 days for free at servehq.church. We are back in a couple of days with a fresh episode. I've got Sean Cannell coming up. He's the YouTuber who talks about uh, video and the explosion of video online. Here's an excerpt. We should be asking, what is going to get new people through our doors? That is a different question than what is going to deepen the bond our current members or, you know, church congregation. What what kind of content could go out to just deepen the bond with that group of people? That is a different piece of, it's two different audiences. One person doesn't even know you exist yet. One person already loves you, but you're just going to a deeper level. That's the lead pastor or someone on the team or whoever uploading a video to say, hey, we just want to send a video out to literally say, we love you. We appreciate you. We care about you. What's the, you, you know what your intent is. You're beginning with the end in mind. I want to deepen the bond. What's another thing? I want people in small groups. What's another thing? As a leader, I want to make money off affiliate marketing so I can actually pay my bills this month. So I had a sniper focus on the intent of the content I was creating during those two months. We all need to know that and then work backwards and then maybe very quickly creative ideas can flow in because then we could say, oh, well, we could just do this. And now we know, ex like starting with the end in mind, we know what it is we're trying to achieve and then we reverse engineer the video content to do so. So that's happening in a couple of days, guys. I can't wait for it. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in a couple of days. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.